Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, as I've been speaking about in my last couple of podcasts, it looks like the period of relative calm in the markets is over and the next leg down has begun. So the correction is also over, not the downward move. That is not the correction. This is the bear market. The upward move was the correction. It was the first correction in this young bear market that technically is not a bear market yet because we're not down 20%, but that's only a matter of time uh, before people call the bear market what it is. So I think the correction is over and the bear market is resuming, the primary trend being down. In fact, the U.S. stock market was now down for its fifth consecutive day, although today was the biggest decline. The Dow ended up down 424 points. We managed to close just above 24,000, uh, 2424. But we were well below. At the lows of the day, we were down about 600 points in the Dow. Percentage-wise, though, down 1.74%. The NASDAQ, uh, about the same, down 1.7%, down 121. I think at the lows, we were down close to 150 points on the NASDAQ. Percentage-wise, the transports were the big loser, down 221 points, 2.08%. Now, one of the things that investors have been counting on to support stock prices and, in fact, drive them higher were earnings, right? Everybody's been saying earnings are going to be strong. We're going to have all this great earnings. Now, what have I been saying on my podcasts over the last several months? I've been saying that it doesn't matter because all these great earnings, if they materialize, are already baked into the cake. They're already discounted into the price of stocks. So in other words, they don't matter, right? It's buy the rumor, sell the fact. If everybody knows that earnings are going to be good, well, they've priced in those expectations into the market. I mean, why do you think the market has gone up so much since Trump was elected president? It was on the anticipation of all these earnings that were going to come from a combination of faster growth and lower taxes. And in fact, the lower taxes are why we were going to get the higher growth. So it was going to be a double whammy. Well, all that was priced into the market. The Dow went from under under 20,000. What was the high? Like 26,000, wherever we got to. It was a huge move and it was factoring in uh, these good earnings. So what have I been saying? I've been saying that doesn't matter. 
because now stocks are priced to perfection. So even if they if they hit the number, big deal. The market could sell off. But what if you miss the number? I've been saying, what if the earnings aren't as good as people think? What if they have the markets have priced in better earnings growth than uh, we actually get? Well, then it's a real disaster. And of course, you have all these other factors that should be weighing down the market, right? You have stretched valuations. Stocks are very expensive. It's not like they're cheap and, you know, and good earnings are going to make them less cheap. I mean, they're expensive. And even if they have good earnings, they're still going to be expensive. But you also have the fact that interest rates are rising and likely to keep rising. And so that is going to reduce the valuations of stocks. And you have the fact that we are late in the business cycle. Uh, You know, whether the recession starts this year, next year, I mean, we are late in this cycle, which means earnings are going to turn down. So maybe earnings are high now, but this could be the peak for earnings. It could all be downhill from here. So maybe this quarter's earnings are as good as the numbers are going to get, and it's going down. So you can't pay a high multiple for peak earnings in a rising rate environment. So, you know, the markets were priced for perfection, and what I said is they're probably not going to get it. And even if they get it, so what? Because it's already been factored in. But today is a very good example of, of what happens, because we had a lot of stocks that reported earnings today. Some beat, some didn't. But they all went down, right? Let's start with Caterpillar because Caterpillar had a big beat. And I'm not going to get into the exact numbers because it doesn't matter. But they were way better on earnings per share. They were way better on revenue. Big jump, you know, year over year. So very good number. The initial reaction, uh, the initial pop, Caterpillar was up 4% right away on on the beat. Well, it closed down 6.2%, a 10% drop on better than expected earnings. So what does that tell you? If stocks can't go up, even if they beat the earnings, well, then what happens if they don't beat the earnings? Well, then they get crushed, right? Look at what happened to Freeport MacRan. Stock down 14.5%. They missed the number, right? They still earned a lot more than they earned last year at the same period, but not as much as analysts had expected. So they take the stock out to the woodshed and beat the crap out of it, down 14.5%. So If you exceed expectations, it doesn't matter. The stock goes down. And if you miss, the stock gets killed. So what does that tell you? Why own stocks, right? Because they're going to go down no matter what. Just a question of whether they go down a little or they go down a lot. So this should be taking a lot of the the wind out of the sail of the stock market bulls who were hanging their hats on better earnings. Because even if we get the better earnings, doesn't mean the stock prices are going up. In fact, another company that came out with better than expected earnings yesterday after the bell was Google. Uh, Alphabet, rather, is the the, the official name. Everybody knows it as Google. The symbol is G-O-O-G. And I forget when they changed the name to Alphabet, but they, you know, they kept the the old symbol. But initially, there was maybe a 1% increase, 1 or 2% last night, I remember, after the earnings came out. But by the end of the day, uh, Google... Alphabet closed down 4.6%. Big drop. Big drop on better than expected earnings. Now, you can say, okay, there's some other stuff going on with the social media company. You've got you know, the Facebook effect, which, by the way, Facebook was down 3.6% today. They didn't report earnings. Uh, but again, you know, Facebook, I think, is in a lot of trouble. And some of these other uh, you know, free uh, media sites like Google, where they sell an advertising in fact, uh, Jeff Gundelach happened to talk about this 
uh, at the Schoen Conference. And, you know, that was, I think it was yesterday he spoke. By the way, I spoke at the Schoen Conference in 2010. That's the only time they ever invited me. The conference is in New York. And I spoke there because I was very popular then because, you know, you know, Peter Schiff was right, was out there. And, you know, I was getting credit uh, for calling the financial crisis. And so as a result of that, they invited me. But, you know, they didn't have me on in 2004 or five, six, seven when I was warning about the crisis. No, no, they didn't want to have anything to do with me. But for a brief moment in time after the crisis happened, you know, they brought me out. Well, now, of course, I'm persona non grata because I've been warning about an even worse crisis. And so they don't they don't invite me. I'm pretty sure after the next crisis hits, right, which is going to be much worse than the last one, they'll probably invite me back again to talk about it. But between crises, they don't want to have anything to do with me because they don't want people to know in advance that a crisis is coming. But they're certainly uh, willing to have me talk about the crisis that has already happened. Right. So I'm sure I'll be invited back again. But they invite Jeff Gundelach and, and he's probably one of the one of the smartest guys that they bring there. And, you know, one of the reasons I think he's so smart is because he and I say the same thing a lot. I mean, as I said, he, he maybe tones it down a bit, uh, you know, for prime time. Uh, but what he says in private is probably a lot more similar to some of the things that, that I say in private. But he had a lot of words to say about Facebook. In fact, he recommended shorting it. He said that his best trade idea was to short Facebook and go long an index of oil stocks, which, you know, I agree with him on both those trades. I'm long oil myself. In fact, oil prices this week, uh, you know, earlier uh, yesterday, they got above 69 again. I mean, we managed to close. We still closed a little bit below 68, 67, 70. But a lot of the oil stocks were up today, especially the international ones that I own. Uh, we're up again, making new 52-week highs. So I like the trade uh, long the oil stocks. But it's interesting because the reason that he's articulated for shorting Facebook, it's exactly what I said on this podcast uh, as soon as the the Facebook story broke. So it's you know another example of great minds thinking alike. But I don't remember what the title was of that particular podcast. But I said... Pretty much, you know, what Gundelach's thesis is now, that the regulators were going to come in and screw up this business, which they are going to do, right? I said this from the beginning, that politicians love the grandstand on something, right? They love to jump on a bandwagon. And this privacy is a big thing. Voters, right? oh, they're going to protect our privacy. Like, first of all, it's so ironic because the government doesn't give a damn about our privacy. I went over that, how, you know, every every April 15th, Americans send their tax confessions into the government. I mean, you have no privacy whatsoever in this country anymore. Meanwhile, I already talked about how the government requires all the financial institutions to spy on all their customers, right? So privacy has been made illegal. I mean, my foreign bank, right, we're not even allowed to advertise that it's private anymore. It's like, it's like a four-letter word. Right. So there is no privacy thanks to government. Right. Nothing about your life is private. Yet somehow they make a big deal uh, if Facebook shares your information with an advertiser. And again, I don't care if advertisers have information on what I like. That helps me out because then they can advertise products to me that I might want to buy. And I'm only going to buy them if they make my life better. So I got no problem with advertisers trying to show me products that are going to make my life better. I'd rather see ads that I'm interested in than ads that I couldn't care less about, right? So it, it doesn't even hurt us that this information is out there, but it sounds bad. It sounds ominous, you know? Oh, they're spying on us. They're, they're selling our information to these greedy corporations who are going to use it against us somehow, right? They're not using it against us. They're using it for us. 
See, where I don't want my information shared is with governments. See, governments can do stuff with my information that can hurt me because governments have the power to hurt me. They can tax me. They can regulate me. They can put me in jail. So they can do all sorts of things that I don't like. Private businesses can't do anything with my information that I don't like, right? Because all they can do is try to persuade me to buy something. And I think I'm smart enough not to be suckered into buying something that I don't think is going to improve my life, right? So I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about government having my information, right? But the public isn't going to make that distinction. And this is a situation where the government can be the good guy. Oh, we're going to protect you from the greedy, evil, evil businessman who is, um, you know, infringing on your privacy. And by the way, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, I mean, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't like Zuckerberg. I mean, first of all, there's probably a lot of people that are very jealous, very envious of this guy because he's so rich, right? I mean, he's a young guy and he's filthy rich, right? And how did he get rich? He had one good idea, right? I mean, and I, you know, I don't begrudge him from that. You know, even if he stole it from the Winklevoss, right? He was still smart enough to steal it. He knew the idea was good enough and he stole it, right? And he went with it. And I don't, you know, I'm, I don't begrudge him any of his success. I'm not, you know, in any way want to take away from what he accomplished. But I know there are a lot of people who are pretty petty. A lot of people, so he, lot, they won't shed a lot of tears. I think he is somebody that they can go after. And I know, you know, Zuckerberg owns quite a few houses in the United States. And apparently everywhere he has a house, he's pissed off all of his neighbors, right? So there's no love loss there. So I think he could be a good target for the bureaucrats, right? To, you know, going after Mark Zuckerberg uh, for doing all this bad stuff, right? And the reason that I said that politicians love Facebook is that everybody who votes has a Facebook account. I mean, pretty much, right? I mean, that, so they found the special interest group that every voter is a member of. So what politician is going to resist, you know, jumping on this thing and, and getting as much publicity related to how they're going to protect the Facebook uh, subscribers who pay nothing for Facebook, right? We get it for free, right? But now, oh, this is terrible uh, because they're doing all this with our data and we're going to regulate them, right? And who's going to be against the regulation to protect privacy? Nobody, right? So all the politicians, Democrats, Republicans, it's going to be a bipartisan attack on Facebook and not just Facebook, but all the uh, social media companies that don't charge, right? And just make their money off of targeted ads, right? And so what did I say was going to happen to Facebook? This is bad news for Facebook for so many reasons. One, and this is also what what Jeff Gundelach was talking about, when the regulators come in there, they're not just going to come in there with a little bit. It's going to be huge. It is going to cost Facebook a fortune to comply with the regulation. I mean, I know, right? Nobody knows better than me, having operated a broker-dealer all of these years, how much regulation can undermine your business, right? So, you know, a lot of these tech firms, they haven't had much regulation. Facebook hasn't had to deal with a lot of regulation. Well, it's about to, right? Something big is going to happen. Who knows? Maybe they'll have a cabinet position for social media. I mean, I don't know, a whole department, right, about online privacy. I mean, who knows how big this is going to get? But, you know, once the genie is out of that bottle or the camel's nose is under that tent, right, you know what's going to happen. So this is going to run up the cost for Facebook. So that's going to hurt their, their revenue, their bottom line, because they're going to have higher costs, right? They're going to have to start hiring a bunch of people to comply with all these rules and regulations. It's going to slow stuff down, right? But number two, the rules and regulation are going to limit 
the amount of data that they're able to share with their advertisers, which means the advertisers are going to not want to pay as much for the ads because they're not going to be as effective, because they're not going to you know, target specifically uh, who they want. As, because all this data has value that they sell. And if they can't sell all the data, if they are limited in what they can sell, then they diminish the value of their product. And so, so not only do you have their costs going up, but you have their revenue going down, right? And so this is a double whammy, which is going to hurt uh, these, these social media stocks. And, you know, this is just the beginning of these stocks, you know, and there, a lot of people own these stocks. They're in a lot of portfolios. They're, you know, they're a big part of the indexes. So, you know, they're going down. Stocks with good earnings are going down. There's, so, there's nothing but risk at this point in this market. And I, I'm watching, you know, on CNBC today, and I'm, they're talking about the bond market again, because finally, the yield on the 10-year got above 3% intraday. We got to 3.03. Now, we didn't close above 3. We closed at 2.983. And part of the reason was the Dow was down 400 points, right? I mean, because the Dow started to sell off, all of a sudden, there's a bit of a bid in the bond market, but not enough to turn it positive. Even when the Dow was down 600 points, yields were still up. Bond prices were lower, right? They were off their lows, but it didn't even turn the market positive. But then you get all these people out there saying, there's nothing to worry about. It's okay that interest rates are at 3%. And the, the part that pisses me off the most, too, is when they say, because they're going up for the right reasons. And I've talked about this before, right? They're going up for the right reasons. I mean, what the hell is that? The right reasons? I mean, the right reason supposedly is they're going up because the economy is so strong that rates are going up. Well, how do they know that that's why rates are going up? I mean, maybe they're going up because inflation is going up. I mean, is that a good thing? Maybe they're going up because the budget deficits are skyrocketing. Maybe they're going up because the Fed is threatening to do quantitative tightening. Maybe they're going up because people are losing confidence in the U.S., a dollar or the creditworthiness of the United States. There could be a lot of bad reasons that rates are going up, right? But oh, no, no, they're just going to ignore all that bad stuff and just assume that rates are going up for the right reasons. But you know what? Even if they're going up for the quote unquote right reasons, it doesn't even matter because the fact of the matter is they're up and we've got to pay the interest rates, right? The higher interest cost is going to hit the economy. So it doesn't matter if rates are up for the right or wrong reasons. The fact that matters is that they're up and we can't afford to pay. When the economy is so over leveraged and so indebted, right, how is the government going to survive uh, with these, even at 3%, given the enormity? See, when they go back and they talk about, well, historically, 3% is still low, so everything's okay. Yeah, historically, 3% is low. But historically, we don't have a $21 trillion national debt. Historically, we haven't had corporations this levered up from buybacks. Historically, you know, we don't have so many you know, people in these you know, rock bottom uh, mortgages uh, with sky high real estate valuations. So there are so many things that are out of the ordinary right now. So to say, well, if interest rates are you know, lower than normal, everything is fine. It's not fine because everything about the debt is not normal. I mean, that's why it was crazy. I pointed this out on my podcast, the last one, that the Federal Reserve is looking around and they're saying, oh, we see no signs of a crisis. I mean, come on, you've got so much debt 
and interest rates rising, I mean, how can that not end in a disaster? I mean, that is the same thing when Greenspan was raising interest rates a quarter point, right? Every time he raised rates, right? How can nobody see that that was going to be a problem for the housing market or the economy, especially when Greenspan himself, when interest rates were very low at the bottom and he was just starting to raise rates, Greenspan was actually praising homeowners for being smart enough to take out adjustable rate mortgages instead of wasting money on a fixed rate mortgage. So the Fed knew that you had all these people with teaser rates and adjustable rate mortgages that stretched to buy homes they really couldn't afford, and they're raising rates every meeting, and they're, they're not seeing that there's going to be a problem somewhere along the way. This is the same thing they're missing now. They are ratcheting up interest rates in an environment where they've levered everybody up to the hilt when rates were so low, and they think, nope, nothing to worry about, no sign anything can go wrong. It's exactly what happened before, except the signs are bigger and the problem is bigger, but their blindness you know, is the same. Now, the other thing that everybody is, you know, got wrong in the bond market, I mean, first they're saying that 3%, it's not that bad, right? We can handle it. They're wrong. We can't handle it, right? The economy can't handle it. The rates have already risen sufficiently to that it can't be handled, right? It's just, you know, it's not going to happen. I mean, we just haven't seen the collapse yet, but based on where rates have already risen, credit is already contracting. It's contracting throughout the economy. It's contracting in real estate. You can see it in commercial real estate. You can see it uh, in what's happening with auto sales, um, retail sales. I mean, the higher rates are already having an impact, and you can see it on the budget deficits. The budget deficits are exploding in part because of the increase in interest rates that has already taken place, right? So it's already having a bigger impact than, than, than people think. But the other mistake that they're making is assuming that this is as high as it's going to go. Like somehow 3%, 3 and a quarter is, is the ceiling. It's not. In fact, when we break above 3%, 3% is probably going to be the floor, right? What's the new ceiling? There is no ceiling. The sky's the limit. I mean, why can't rates go to 4%, 5%, 6%, 8%? Of course they can. Nobody thinks it's possible. But why? I mean, why would interest rates be so low? Historically, they haven't been here. I mean, what is the rationale for saying that interest rates are going to stay this low for so long? I mean, there, there is nothing that you can point to. The only reason they got down this low was because the Fed had rates at zero, because the Fed was doing all this quantitative easing, because we had a financial crisis. So none of that exists anymore. Right? So then why should interest rates still be at those ridiculously low levels? They shouldn't be. But everybody's just assuming that because it's been that way for a while, it's going to stay that way. Just like people assume, well, real estate prices have always risen, so they're going to always rise in the future, just because they've always risen in the past. No, they're not. You have to look at what was abnormal about the past and then decide what would be a normal reversion to the mean. And the low rates that we've had over the past 10 years are abnormal. They're not going to stay down there. Right? They've got to go up. Of course, the only way to stop it is for the Fed to reverse course, cut rates and do QE4, and that's going to happen. The question is, how long do they wait before they you know, say chicken. And of course, there's going to be a big surprise. As I've been saying, it ain't going to work for a third time. They are going to destroy the dollar. They're going to create a currency crisis. This is what I've been forecasting the entire time. And this is the end game. But you look at that chart, you look at a long term chart of bonds, and we break through three, three and a quarter, and it is a brand new bear market in bonds. Their rates are going way up, you know, and nobody is worried about that. Everybody just assumes 
that the upside in yields is minimal. Why would you assume that? You know, they had this guy on CNBC today, I don't know, some guy from the mortgage industry, and they're asking this guy, well, how high do you think rates are going to go? Like, like the guy even knows. Like, how does he know? But they ask him the question, like, you know, like, like, he, like he's really some kind of expert. And he, and he basically said three and a quarter. Uh, you know, he was looking at, you know, maybe, you know, a little bit over three. That's his, you know, because he didn't think that mortgage rates would quite get to 5%. But based on what? Why should rates stop there? You know, and he was talking about, hey, the economy is really good and all this good stuff is happening. Well, if you really believe the economy is really good, then why would interest rates stay that low? I mean, they were only really low because the economy stunk, right? And because the Fed was doing all this QE. Well, if the Fed's not doing QE and the economy doesn't stink, if it's really great, then why aren't rates going up? In fact, if you think the economy is so great, why are the 30-year yields still so low relative to the 10-year? In fact, later in the day, I did notice that we started to see the 30-year finally, after maybe four or five days of the reverse, the 30-year was a little bit weaker on the day. So the spread widened slightly of the, on the 30-year over the, 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 the 10-year. And if we really start to see some weakness in the 30-year, because the yield on the 30-year went out at about the high yield of the day, whereas the 10-year was way off the high yield of the day. And so if the 30-year begins to lead, if we start to see the curve steepening, that is a very, very bad sign. Because that's a sign that people are starting to figure out that there's a problem here. That the rise in rates is not for the right reasons, but for the wrong reasons, which are the other ones I listed. Rising inflation, rising deficits, loss of confidence, weak dollar. And by the way, over the last you know, several days, as you know, the dollar has actually strengthened along with rising bond yields. Right? And gold prices have gone down. Now, gold was up about six or seven bucks today. We're still you know, in the 1330s. And the dollar index had a couple of you know, strong days. We're back above 90. We're at 90 spots, 7.6 or something. The dollar rallied and gold fell off because investors, again, are making the wrong assumption that rising bond yields are good for the dollar. They're not. They're bad for the dollar. Why are they bad for the dollar? A, they weaken the economy, which is going to be bad for the dollar. They make our deficits more expensive to fund, which is bad for the dollar. They could be indicative of a loss of confidence in the dollar or rising inflation, which is bad for the dollar because inflation erodes away the value of the dollar. So there is nothing positive about falling bond prices and rising bond yields for the dollar. And of course, as rising interest rates weigh down the U.S. economy, what does that mean? That means the Fed's likely to cut short-term rates and launch QE4, which is terrible for the dollar. So the people who are assuming that this is bullish for the dollar are wrong. And the people who are buying the dollar here because they think rising bond yields are positive are going to get caught uh, when the dollar tanks. And it's the opposite for gold. You know, falling bond prices are not bearish for gold. When people are losing confidence in U.S. bonds, when U.S. bonds are losing value, uh, then that diminishes their appeal as a safe haven. They're not a store of value. Uh, you know, there's no safety there. So what's the alternative? Gold, right? If you're going to lose money in treasuries because treasury prices are falling and inflation is eroding away the value of the dollars that they're denominated in, well, what is the alternative, right? <laughs> it's gold. So all of this that is happening now is bullish for gold and bearish for the dollar. It's just that you have a large group of investors that don't understand that. They, they haven't figured this out yet. 
Also, while the stock market was tanking, uh, Donald Trump I guess, had a press conference. He had the French president there with him. They had a joint press conference. You know, towards the end of the conference, Trump starts praising France and the French economy. He talks about how great the French economy. I mean, the French economy? I mean, Donald Trump is a big fan of France. And they're, what? I mean, maybe they have massive government. I mean, they're a bunch of socialists running France. Yet Trump is talking about how great their economy is and how, how well they're going to be doing. I mean, does he really feel that strongly? Does he embrace I mean, that, you would think that's something that Bernie Sanders would be talking about, how he holding France up as an example of a great economy. You know, earlier in that same conference, he had some good things to say about Rand Paul, you know. Uh, but, you know, Rand Paul is the polar opposite, right? He's on the opposite end of the spectrum of, of France, right? He couldn't get elected dog catcher in France. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, because Trump, Trump just says whatever he wants to say. It doesn't matter. He doesn't think about anything. He, he's just, you know... The French president is, is right there standing in front of him. So he's going to say all kinds of nice things about the French president. He's going to say all kinds of great things about the French economy. I mean, it couldn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter what country or what. It's, this is how he is as a guy. I mean, he, he's just, you know, that's his personality. But, you know, you can't believe the stuff that he's saying. Again, he, in, when that press conference started, the first thing that Trump said, the first words out of his mouth, we're bragging about how low the unemployment rate was. In fact, he said that some of the states have the lowest unemployment in their history, right? And he's taking credit for the lowest unemployment in history. A year and a half ago, he was saying the real unemployment rate was, the, I think the highest I saw was 42%, right? He generally, when, you know, when the unemployment rate was 5%, right? Now it's 4%, right? So when it was 5% or the high fours, he said that number is fiction, it's a fraud, it's a hoax, it's phony, right? And he said the real unemployment rate is 20% or 25% or 30%. The highest I think I heard him say was 42%. Now, where he got that number, I have no idea. But if the unemployment rate was 42% when he was elected president a year and a half ago, it's not 4% today. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's no way it's fallen that much. I mean, so come on. But he is just embracing these numbers as if Moses just brought them down from Mount Sinai on a tablet, right? Yet when Trump was a candidate and Obama was president and the unemployment numbers were pretty much the same, yeah, maybe they were a little bit uh, higher, but they had been going down for years. And in fact, probably the unemployment rate might be just as low had, had Hillary Clinton won. I mean, who knows, right? But they were falling for his entire presidency and it was the biggest con, the biggest fraud, the biggest hoax. And, and it just infuriates me every time he says this. And I guess nobody, I mean, maybe the first time he said it, I think there were some people in the press that kind of called him out on it. But now no one says anything. It's like, fine, he can say whatever he wants and nobody, you know, holds him to task. Now, finally, I guess one thing I want to talk about is we have continued to have a rally in the cryptocurrencies. I mean, Bitcoin and all the altcoins have had a pretty big rally since I talked about that big. We had that thousand point rally on in like 10 minutes. We went from like 6,000 to 7,000. Uh, and, and it seemed like it looked like there was some manipulation going on. But then we've been building on that rally. We're now, as I'm speaking, we're about 9,500, just under 9,500. This is the high of the day of 6% right now. So we're making a pretty big move you know, maybe up towards 10,000. Remember, 10,000 is about 50% of the high because we got up to around 20,000. But I would not get excited about this rally if you're one of the holders. I mean, if you're not going to sell into this rally, it means nothing. 
because I don't think it is going to last. I think the sell-off in risk assets that we're seeing now in the stock market is going to spill over into the cryptocurrency market because the cryptocurrencies are the ultimate in risk asset because there's actually no asset there. It's pure risk. And so if it's risk off, believe me, there's a lot of money coming off on the cryptocurrencies. But another reason that I think we've had this rally in the cryptocurrencies over the past week or so is because gold has once again failed to break out above 1350. And because, you know, people are seeing, oh, there's this wall here, you know, gold's not going up, even if oil's making new highs, even if we're getting a pop in silver, if gold can't seem to get above this resistance, well, then where are we going to go? What's the alternative to fiat currency if we can't buy gold? Well, let's buy these cryptos. And I, I've heard, you know, there were some more comments. I forget the guy's name at the Schoen conference came out. He had some crazy forecast. I don't know what he said, 700,000 uh, for Bitcoin or some crazy number like that. So I think there's been some positive talk that has kind of, you know, lit, you know, the animal spirits again. And because gold wasn't going anywhere, I think it was able to divert some of that spec money uh, into the crypto space. So either the stock market's continuing to fall is going to bring down the cryptos or gold breaking out and then showing that, hey, there is upside in the price of gold. It isn't a dead ceiling at 1350. We can go higher. And now that generates more interest in gold and that steals interest away uh, from the alternatives where people think they're buying digital gold, but again, they're buying fool's gold. Thank you.